And welcome to the 20th episode of my 1994 Old School Show. This is part of my XL podcast, where I take the time to sit down with friends, legends, and the people who have inspired me over the years. I got a chance to talk to them about their journey through music, and I hope you enjoy it just as much as I do, listening to what got them into music, what inspired them, and the tracks that they've produced. The 20th episode is none other than my old friend, producer Andy Haldane. If you're not quite sure who Andy Haldane is, he's not a DJ, he's not a band. He's one of Scotland's most famous producers when it comes to the rave scene. He's been producing for over 30 years and his back catalogue looks like TTF, Ultrasonic, Rhythmic State, Ultimate Buzz, Dimension and just about every Scottish rave band you can imagine and more. Andy is also the man responsible for working with me and Roger Hughes when we produced a lot of the ultrasonic tracks back in the day. And it was a pleasure to have Andy involved in the latest Hardcore Will Never Die album that I just found thanks to lockdown. If you want a CD copy or a vinyl copy of this album that was scheduled to be released in 1996-97, jump over to Kickstarter or the Ultrasonic Facebook page and click the link and reserve your copy. Myself, Roger Hughes and Andy Haldane produced these tracks in Apollo Studios back in the day and it was originally meant to be released after Global Techno. Andy is transferring the dats onto digital format Mark Sherry's going to be mastering it. You can find out more about that project and help us back it and get it out on Kickstarter. Anyway, sit back, relax and enjoy Andy's journey through music. Enjoy! What are we waiting for? Hardcore! Play the nah, nah number and people get sick. So, Andy, welcome yeah. to the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty embarrassing that all these technical problems that you had with me and I'm supposed to know what I'm doing there. But like I was saying, now I get the, I get the, I get a taste of what it must be like when you work with me. When I'm just like, <laughs> don't know what's happening. <laughs> oh, dear. Funny games. Uh, it's good. To, I'm, I'm glad to be uh, here. I'm, I'm thank you for for having me on the show. I'm excited. Definitely. Well, I mean, like I was saying earlier, the premise of the show is to talk about people's journeys through music, and and it's the people I've had the chance to speak to is people I respect and admire and obviously you are up there big time for me and I would just like to talk to you about your journey through music and you know the ups and the downs and the, you know just going right back for the start you know like all good stories in it was it a defining moment when music spoke to you as a kid or you know can yeah, you remember when, when I was five I used to know the words to like the top ten tunes in the charts it was bizarre yeah. and, and it used to be commented on and it's, it's quite funny because I'm absolutely terrible at remembering lyrics to songs now It's but it was obviously my, my little brain was like wanted to understand the music and it was the only way I could understand the music was just learning the words and mouthing along the words to them and then I think my first record I was given was like a James Last orchestral version of Bond themes and I played it constantly, absolutely constantly, particularly loving on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which was uh, fabulous. But, uh, you know, my, my brother was right into music. Uh, he 
constantly buying records and I was always playing them and scratching them, which he wasn't very happy about. Was your brother a couple of years older than you? So he was that wee bit, right. always a wee bit ahead of me. Um, uh, my sister played the piano, my mum played the piano, my grandfather uh, was a brilliant classic ragtime guy. You know, he'd, he'd, he'd sit down at the piano and hands would just do this. He didn't. He would always say he didn't know what he was doing. I'm not sure he did know what he was doing, but it was like it was a great racket he'd make when he played. So every time he would come round to the house, there was always piano playing, and I'd always be watching him. And I'd say, "How is it you're doing that? What? What's going on?" And uh, he, he would say he didn't know, which was really annoying because I just was like desperate to understand. Uh, and as, as I got older and older, I was just more into it. And I, I remember the, the first, a classic thing people say is, what's the first record they bought? The first record I bought was um, Pop Music by M, which was a massive hit at the time. It's amazing, that track. Even like, uh, when we spoke about it, you sent me the, the links, and I listened again to it. The bass line in it, it's still amazing right now. It was done in late 1978 and released in 1979 so when you listen to it now you think god it sounds really old hat but I, sorry I, it's like rewind and think what else was going on then it changed the game yep. because it was full of synths full of synthesizers really cool guitars beautifully presented and see from the moment it starts it's hook after hook after hook after hook yep. all the way through it's got rapping in it it's got it's, it's got literally everything and I remember when I heard that track my mind was just expanded I, I, I mean people all, all through my life have asked me so what's, what's that music is it you play what's that music is it you record and I would always say to them pop music uh, I would never say dance music or soul music or, or anything else I would just always say pop music and it's a little bit because of that record that I would actually make a point of saying that because it's called well, as in pop, as in that, that just encompasses everything. I, I everything. never understand why people actually would... I never understood any of the genres of of anything, frankly. It's broadly speaking all just music to me. I mean, Bon Jovi's pop music, um, Ultrasonic's pop music, mostly. Not all, but <laughs> mostly. Uh, yeah. See, if that was in 90s and you yeah, said that, we'd yeah, still... Yeah, you would have still... You'd have never come back. You know, Bob, Bob Marley, Bob Marley's pop music. Uh, yeah. You know, so it was all... If it was in the charts, as far as I'm concerned, it was pop music. And that's a bit some... Yeah, pop being popular. popular. But also, easy... Not easy to understand, but... but I sort of took the populist idea of if lots of people liked it, it must have been good. That's clearly not true or correct, but there is something in that. <laughs> There's an awful lot of number ones, number twos, and number three records that have been out that are just simply brilliant in one way or another. Whether or not you like it, it's they're still brilliant. And I think yep. I was just always drawn to that sheer simplistic brilliance, which Pop Music by M definitely has. So that that's blew you away. I, what kind of age are you then? And are you learning any instrument at the time, or does that making you want it? I must have been ten, um, and I I remember I rode my bike to Woolworths. So I not only bought it myself, but I actually got there myself as well. So it was like I need to get this record. I've got my pocket money. I've saved it up. Whatever it was, one pound and nine pence. It might have been ninety nine p. 
rode my bike it didn't get nicked while I was in Woolworths because it didn't nick bikes then <laughs> went and got the record went back home and played it 150 times when I listen to it now I can I still know every single detail as it happens it's logged in there in a way that that isn't with lots of <laughs> other things there's too many too much music's going on since that point I was watching the video and even the way the guy's dancing it reminded me of Bez from the Happy Mondays <laughs> Because, you know, he does that kind of dance, but that guy was just kind of like, although it just looks, looks and sounds, you know, maybe you'd listed with different ears now, but like you say, if you think about 1979 and that, it is, it's just bang, in your face. And then later on that year, after it was now 11, and I was in like, must have been primary seven, um, our friends Electric by Tubby Army stroke Gary Newman came out and... I thought aliens had landed from another planet, right? <laughs> and brought down something that wasn't even music. It was sound that I'd never heard. And I thought it was just incredible. It's still sound incredible. And lots of people uh, quote that song and Gary Newman has, has been a, an influence. And it really pisses me off because as far as I'm concerned, I claimed that one for myself. And I'm so annoyed that other people have claimed it since because I was such a super fan. My mum knitted me a jumper with the Telecon logo, which was all black and two red lines and two red lines along here. That's how much of a fan I was. And uh, just totally right. mega. But it's when Cars came out, although our friends Electric had, had been amazing and I, I'd kind of like, I was into it, but our friends Electric came out and I was, oh my God, I need, it was absolute, I needed to find out how to be able to do whatever that was. Whatever it was you had to do, yep. I knew it was playing instruments, but I thought it was all keyboards because in the video and on top of the pops, it was all keyboards. But in actual fact, our friends Electric's all live played. It's live drums, live bass, and it's all live synth. There's no computers. Of course, there isn't any computers. Wow. There's no sequencers. <laughs> I mean, there wasn't. Some people were using sequencers at that point, but that wasn't. That was all real. But it still sounds to this day really fresh and and new. And for years, I was a ridiculous. Uh, big Gary Newman fan but also I mean I get into Prince I majorly get into Kate Bush um, as well and uh, Gary Newman is a terrible singer and for whatever reason I tolerated him until I probably couldn't any longer as, as time went on because I truly one of my big loves in music is great singing uh, Yep. And and I suppose I, I, I do tolerate Gary Newman even to this day, despite the singing. Do you not think he, carry, he carries it well? He's, there's a vibe there. Yes, he did. He did. And the whole, um, it sounds like I don't, I don't like his records. It's not, not the case. But but I think what developed in me as I got older, as I began to appreciate brilliant singing of all types. My dad was a big Karen Carpenter, uh, Carpenter's fan. And her voice, a really deep, really close up, really warm sound. Um, it was just something, I, and Mama Cass, an artist from the 70s that nobody listening to this knows who that is. Um, and uh, hey, her. I know. <laughs> uh, and that, that's, that's something that developed over the years. And it was, I started buying, I, and I never, I, I was such a, well, I wasn't a loner, but I, I was just spent, I, I got a part time job. And I spent every single penny I had buying gear 
So I had a Casio VL tone, was my first synth, the wee thing, it was do 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 wee keyboard that's that size. Yeah, yeah. Um, I then was playing the piano a lot because I, I could only play like wee daft things on that. And I got a, like a piano-y keyboardy thing uh, for my birthday, but it was too boring because it just made crappy, terrible piano sounds. And then I bought a terrible synth called a Gen SX1000, and I thought I was Gary Newman when I had that. I was sitting just ringing, but I've again very quickly realised that I needed more than that, and it was. Yeah, I mean, I imagine even like the one you were saying, it wasn't very good. Then it was probably a lot of money, or was it? Was it these kind of things quite expensive? I think that that thing I got. Right. And I, I, every every time I bought, I wanted anything. I had to always sell the last thing. So I never had any more than one or at maximum two keyboards, which was very, very limiting yeah. for a long, long time. Had you had like piano lessons or instrument <laughs> lessons on the lead up to this? Were you Actually, dabbling in any of that? Lessons. Um, I didn't end right. up having piano lessons. Uh, did I? No, I don't think I did. I had guitar lessons and I was going to do music at school uh, on guitar, but my guitar teacher was awful, so I ended up having to sing for my music uh, O-grade and higher which which actually stood me in really good stead when I've been working with vocalists since then because because it made me what they were going through and they would have to do to achieve what I would want them to do I would also have a sense of the pain that they were going through to achieve that and by pain I mean mental torture and and not actually physical in some cases as physical torture but um, when I was in school uh, my music teacher, Miss Stewart, I credit with, uh, she she was brilliant, really supported us just in doing music. So I started the first day of fifth year and higher and uh, come in and there's these extra people in the class. There's two girls sitting behind me. Uh, one crazy girl with blonde hair, looked like she was dressed up like bloody Madonna. And uh, me and my pal sitting next to her in the class spent the entire first day trying to talk to her, you know, chat her up. And uh, and she, uh, her name's Melanie, and we ended up starting a, I hasten not to call it a band, I basically had one synth and a drum machine and a four track tape recorder, and I had some things that were like instrumental tunes but no vocals on them and she could sing so that meant that I could do things and she saw me as a, as a route to having music made for her so that she could do her singing. And for, until from when I was maybe 15 until I was 23, we worked together on, pretty much exclusively with, with, we did work with other people, but they were just individual small things that we did. Uh, yeah, Coming in and out sort of thing. Worked with was just little projects we jumped in and out of, but we were, when we were making music seriously, it was with each other and with other people that we joined in. There was various incarnations. God, there must have been about 10 different versions of of us working together. Either it was supposed to be a band or it was just supposed to be her and then it was supposed to be Yazoo sort of thing, you know, keyboard player and vocalist. Yeah. You know, we did gigs and things. We, I mean, we were very close to being signed by Deconstruction. Did you have oh, a name or was it? Names. Yeah. Change it all the time, can I? Right, right, right. And so many styles that we were trying to do. We were managed. And Deconstruction yeah, we was were sniffing about. By Ellie Davis, who was Wet Wet Wet's manager for a while yeah. and uh, he was in retrospect uh, brilliant 
at what he did. Of course he was brilliant at what he did with Wet Wet Wet, but a lot of his opinions about what he wanted us to do, we totally disagreed with and caused great fights. Uh, he wasn't necessarily totally wrong, <laughs> as you look back, but but uh, you know he wanted us to do a sort of semi-rock soul type thing, and um, he was absolutely right in the sense that that is now, many years later, what Melanie has settled into doing. <laughs> I, I was going to say that, I because anybody who doesn't know Melanie went on to, well, you she, can tell them, but she she was. Oh, Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll cut to. She, she went on to be in the X Factor, so she she became a, a pretty well known for a period of time, and she's still a household name for a while. Huh? And she, you know, she's got an incredible voice, absolutely incredible voice. I think when she was younger, both of us we were untamed in what we what we were doing, and we we jointly thought we should do one thing and maybe we should have been doing another thing and Elliot was trying to pull us in a direction we didn't want to go in because it seems literally like old people's music but hey-ho, that's that's youth for you <laughs> on both of our... Well, that's it and it, it's the benefit of hindsight yeah. as well, isn't it? Uh, we, know uh, we produced a couple of tracks uh, one of which we'll be playing later um, uh, one of which was and would have nearly got assigned to deconstruction which would have been you know it would have that been, would have been well, maybe it would maybe it wouldn't I, I, I don't look back with regret at anything actually um, but I think that it came to the point for both of us she wanted to to move down to London she wanted to seek the bright, bright lights and and I didn't and and we kind of went our separate ways musically which was I think it was the right thing for both of us. I think we both think it was the right thing at that point. We'd felt that we'd tried a million things and it hadn't worked for us. So what happens um, not long after we go our separate ways is she ends up with a top 40 hit. Uh, and I can't even remember what it's called. She's going to kick me now. I can't remember what it's called, but she's a featured vocalist. Um, ah, Okay. Was it not a big sort of oh, dancey yeah. thing yeah, or something yeah. as well? I, I vaguely remember yeah, you telling me about it. Uh, well, no, I, I, she's had several hits actually as featured vocalists. Is this before oh, the X no, Factor no, thing? This is just no, as like a session. 1992. Um, ah, okay, and, right. And then I go on and I'm not working with her anymore and uh, go on and, and start working with other people and, and ended up. You know, working with John Campbell and TTF's Real Love. Well, before we get to that, we could we could play a couple of tracks for you know the, the you know the couple of tracks for your youth. You know the pop one and maybe a Newman yeah. track or something like that. Cars, and then we can go into your second part. Cars. But if you listen to these two tracks, although they're quite different, they're also quite similar. And although they don't have great vocals on either of them, they're just hook from start to finish, and they still sound fresh. And I think both of them have been sampled heavily and used in dance tracks for for however long. I don't know, you know, it's just, it's, there's just a goldmine to any sampler. Yeah, or that whole album that Carr was, was on, uh, uh, Me was sampled by uh, Basement Jacks. Cars have been sampled by rap bands. Uh, Sugar Babes took Our Friends Electric back to number one a second time. That's right, yeah. Cars has been a hit three times, actually. I think um, Nile Rogers ruined it in the 80s. And don't get me wrong, 
Nile Rogers is one of is probably my favourite producer of all time, but he ruined Cars, and I'm gonna I'm gonna just gonna put that in the record right now. How dare he add whatever the hell he would get hand claps into it uh, or whatever nonsense he did.
Um, so, you were saying uh, in the group that you were working with, the, you and Melanie went different directions. She's went to London yep. to do her thing. You're, you're still in Glasgow. Yes. You're, so, you're like still working from home? You're, you're like a, 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 a studio a producer? My house. Uh, I was working at Music Shop Sound Control, which is no longer with us. And yeah, in Jamaica Street. So my, my daughter was born in December '91, and uh, around that time, John Campbell, who was who was a customer of the shop, came in, bought keyboards and stuff, and we were always standing talking. We had a lot of really similar loves of music. We were quite similar in in a lot of ways, despite there are a lot of differences between us as well. But but musically, um, we had so many similarities and. I think he'd been recording with somebody or somebody else, and uh, he, he asked me if I would if I would do some recording with him. So came up to the house. We put a backing track together for. Had he let you hear any no, stuff? I don't because think he's. I, I don't think I had heard anything actually. It, it, it was. I think before TTF, it was yeah. through the fire. It was a more a kind of Depeche Mode kind of group. He was. I, I've had conversations with him where he said he had that like kind of. No, not so much a pop success, but that was his band originally. It was more uh, with the similarities between us. Definitely, probably still are. We still just love our pop music. So he said this was a dancey thing, and I'm like that. You know, if it involves synthesizers and drum machines, uh, I'm in. I'm yeah. in. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you want to do. Just, just uh, tell me what, what what you know what noises you want, and we'll we'll go down that route. So. Did you have much of a setup at home at that yeah, point? Was I, like- yeah, I had about three keyboards, I had an eight-track tape recorder. I had a pretty big mixing desk, actually, a 32-channel mixing desk, quite a few effects. It was it was modest, but it was re- pretty powerful and an amazing sampler, which even to this day would look pretty powerful, pretty effective in any studio. Yeah. Um, a Roland S7000 or whatever it was, big thing with a separate screen, so anytime anybody ever saw it, they thought I was like, you know, again, beamed down from the future, which was, was always a good start with people when you're talking, talking production <laughs> synthesizers. If, if they think you've got the uh, biggest toys or the fanciest toys, you're, you're, you're in already. So, yeah, so we put the backing track together and then he, he said he arranged this singer, Mary, to come and do the vocals. So Mary Keane rocks up, you know, glamorous and beautiful as anything, comes up, big personality into my wee house in Crawford. Uh, starts singing and my daughter starts crying because she's only like four weeks old and <laughs> it's freezing outside pissing down outside and uh, Caitlin's crying so loud the next door that we couldn't so it was either send Mary away or send Caitlin away so Nick, Nicky had to <laughs> Nicky had to take her round the block uh, like five or six times for us I feel alive it's going on and she comes back Amazing. 45 minutes later pops her head in the door are you done yet? <laughs> <laughs> soaked to the bone Honestly, soaked to the bone sneezing like, yeah, yeah done sorry and I, 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 we did that track and it's not that I forgot about it because I was really pleased with it but I, I had no it was just John that I was dealing with John went off and did whatever John did and um did good stuff and he made contact with Bill Granger at Club Scene Records and three or four months maybe down the road I then I joined a partnership with Callum McLean and we'd opened up Apollo Recording Studios and 
how did that how did that come about fight, like finding premises was it something that you wanted to move into were you friends I'd with Callum and Callum and, and another music shop years before and we'd kept in touch we always had a plan to do something and he'd started this studio but he'd it hadn't he needed he needed a he needed a partner actually he needed somebody else to help him not because he wasn't capable but because it's just sometimes you need another person who knows what they're doing to to rely on and also to bring in a different style of music to the the studio so you're not relying on just one seam of music so um, yeah that we set that up on a total and utter shoestring uh, in the building that was. Um, I think it's now Holiday Inn Express, right up at the top end of town, across the road from the UG. Is it what's it called? The UGC Cinema? Is that the cinema? Cinema uh-huh. at the top end of town. Aye, aye, the big cinema. I don't know if it's Cineworld. I, don't know. I know you're it was from Cineworld, and it was in the basement yep. of that, and it was a pub, a venue, three rehearsal studios, and a recording studio. We just ran the recording studio side of it. We didn't have anything to do with the rest of it. And uh, yeah, John Campbell comes back on to me and says, uh, "Yeah, this is going to get released on this new record label, Club Scene Records. We can we remix it?" Um, so we came in. We had a much bigger mixing desks. We worked on it. I think we did several variants of it. And I think Bill Granger came in. It's the first time I'd ever met him, and he was talking about his big plans for this label. And I was just, "All right, good, yeah, whatever." <laughs> No, no, not that I didn't believe him, but I had no idea who he was, or, or yeah, as yeah. far as I was concerned, I was just I was quite happy that the track I'd done earlier on in the year was was actually going somewhere. Had it came out on a the mix that you'd done? Had that came out on a white label or something? And before like, the club scene, did, but it was uh, I think it didn't ultimately come out until it came out on on Jive as the the version. Ah, okay. Of the, Real Love 1992, whatever it was. But I mean, that was that was really super exciting. It, it then ultimately got released a year later, and by that point I, I wasn't working with John anymore, and, and Stephen Nelson came in and, and they freshened it up, tightened up the drums, I think they made it a couple of beats per minute faster. Um, they made it better, make no bones about it, but it was a, it was a year further down the line, and TTF had, had become... You know, really, really massive. Massive yeah, at the time, massive, weren't they, in Scotland? Absolutely, and utterly massive. Um, but, you know, I started in partnership with Callum in that studio in March, and I'd got married in the in the August, and I come back. Uh, oh, I don't know why, there's a message and an alarm on my phone. And I, I come back from uh, uh, my, my, well, not wasn't that my honeymoon was mull, so it wasn't terribly exciting. I didn't go to Mauritius or anything. Uh, to discover that the on the day before I was due to come back to work at the studio, the building had gone on fire. The fire brigade had sent six fire engines worth of water onto the top floor of the building because that's where the fire was. And if you send six fire engines worth of water onto the top floor of a building, I tell you where it ends up. It ends up in the ba- it ends up in the basement. <laughs> so we. How that must have been heartbreaking just seeing yeah, your studio it was flooded. Sold the studio. Uh, I mean, people would say, "Oh, the- was it called Apollo?" Sorry, Andy, was it called yeah, Apollo at this the, point? The venue, the whole place was called the Apollo because it was across the road from right. the old Apollo. The uh, Apollo. Oh, yeah, we yeah. called ours Apollo Recording. That's what we called it. So we were washed out, and we didn't have a studio for 
four months we eventually built the the studio in the basement of Merchant City Music uh, that, that that you know when you came to become a resident yeah. of. Um, How did you find that basement? Was it just a case of lo- looking endlessly yeah, so to find somewhere? You the guys that owned the 13th Note that was across the road from uh, up the Merchant City Music in Garth Street and we'd spend our days there just having coffee and stuff, not not drinking. And we were looking for property and every time we were in town we'd look for property and we'd end up back there as our kind of daytime base. And we're sitting there on a coffee and we're looking, just looking out aimlessly across the road and it says shop 850 square feet, basement 1050 square feet. And we've been looking for about a thousand square feet. We're like, it's a sign. <laughs> why, why didn't we notice it before now? And so we decided to we opened a music shop, uh, a terrible music shop, uh, which is not a terrible music shop now. It's a great music shop now, but it was then a terrible music shop. I mean, that's a, that's quite a big. Uh, it was quite a big, a big thing to do. You know, like you had the music shop upstairs and the recording studio down the stairs. And that that you must have been must have been pretty nerve wracking getting into business. You know. Or was you quite confident that... No. Oh, God, no. Confident. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it nearly finished us off. Um, my, I needed, we needed to borrow money uh, from the bank, which, which involved a whole lot of lies about our financial stability. Uh, we put our houses up. We put... Uh, my dad loaned us some money, but he, even he had to borrow the money that he loaned to us. Yeah. It was... It was pretty desperate times and we had no idea when it was going to work. And about a year and a half after it opened, uh, it was looking like it was all going to crumble around us. And due to... Wow, I didn't know that. uh, It was going, definitely going to close. So I come back from... What kind of year's that? What year's that? I came in in 92 to have that business on fire. And then I come back from my son being born in 94 to be told that we're going just about to get put into administration. And so wow. summer ninety four. So he was born in June, so first of July. <laughs> um Wow. But bizarrely but ninety four I mean the rave scene's buzzing. You must have been getting some good studio work it, it coming was through. The, the, we had both businesses had to work and the shop wasn't working. So the studio was right. okay, but the shop wasn't working. So we were that's twice I've been like within touching distance that that was that was just bloody mindedness that kept us going then aye I mean two things remind me of the full studio experience when we um, I suppose club scene believed enough and from knocking back our demos thinking we were, we were, we were ultrasonic a bit weird and then we had the obsession on a demo and then they went right and they were putting us in a real studio well that was in the gap between our our first well, studio and our second studio. It originally was, I and it was originally going to yeah. be in your first studio, which then was, I remember the story, it being flooded, and you then took us to, that would be your connection with Elliot Davis, you took us to Wet 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 Studio, Pet Sounds, and we, we recorded Obsession in there with you. Did you make that sound so straightforward? <laughs> <laughs> Like we, obviously, like, I'm just I'm skipping like a lot of stuff. Up and it was all just happened. And you waved your can wand. I, <laughs> of what so, I think it was one of our first sessions in that studio. It wasn't the first one because I did know I did know my way around the place. 
and you know Bill said I'm sending this band to you Bill Grangers I'd done the stuff with John I think we'd done uh, by that point we'd done maybe I'd done maybe three tunes with John uh, Super Nate uh, three TTF tracks uh, Super Nature that Mary sung vocals on with a, a guy called Damien who did the time warp years before oh wow right John did a there was a TTF production of uh, of that and there would be one other song I think it was Higher Than Heaven I, I'm sure he will correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong it was a song I think I've got it in the data of it anyway but um, so by this point I sort of knew Bill a little bit and he said I've got this band I'm sending you so you were late of course um, as, <laughs> as, 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 I, as I became used to and uh, these these two guys, who both look like they've been, you know, let out of jail or let out of a nightclub about 20 minutes before. <laughs> and this wee gallus lassie. And I was like, oh my God. You brought in a ton of keyboards, which as far as I were concerned was all the wrong keyboards. If you were going to make dance music, I don't know what the hell you had those keyboards with, with you yeah. for. And I just remember the first hour and a half trying to get everything you'd brought rigged up. And it and it's not happening and eventually it hung together for us enough to get to get the stuff down onto tape um, Heather did her bit but we had to sample some stuff and fly it in which was really complicated anyway I, all I remember of the session was it being incredibly stressful for me and and I do remember it quite clearly but I actually don't remember the specifics of it other than it being a, a stressful experience I'm in a studio I don't know people I've never worked with before the gear's not really hanging together and at the end of the day the fact that you went away with a tune of any type I was just over the moon with and you seem to be yeah. I mean I suppose as well for yourself you've got your other studio your business yeah. has been flooded and all yeah. that's in your mind as well. you're just trying yeah, to juggle everything you know I'm to make a bad job I'm wanting to make a really good job and it felt like I was making yeah. a really bad job for you guys and for Bill because I think this was the first session that wasn't uh, that was new it was it felt like club scene was expanding and it had a new act so oh, okay. I, I just felt that it wasn't going right for me new studio I, I didn't know you guys um, it was it was a laugh I remember that but but I, I just felt I was on the back foot the whole day and I, we got to the end of the day and I remember it being a big tune but it was only maybe three months later when people would start to say to me after Obsession came out and after it because Obsession and A Track of Mine came out in the same day you won't remember this oh, you okay. don't remember that do you? No, is this yeah, on club scene? Right. no see, I don't know I didn't give a shit about your track um, <laughs> <laughs> I, all I cared about was my track but my track bombed and you were sold and I was not well, I wasn't not happy about it I, mean, I was like I was, you know, I won either way if, if you like but uh, so Obsession came out and people would start who I was working with was going um, see that track uh, ultrasonic track can you get the bass drum sound from it and I'm like really oh it's the best bass drum I've ever heard and I'm like is it I mean it was you, it was sample you brought in anyway I didn't create, create a sound uh, I sat a sample for a record I can't even remember what record it was I, I begun to ask for whatever it was that I did for you guys the magic some of it and I, I was a bit confused by it because apart from anything else I couldn't remember what it was I'd done <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I, re I remember coming up and it was just like I, we were we knew that your old studio had been flooded but we were oblivious because we just seen this guy in this big massive desk and we had drove our studio or 
our bedroom studios up in each other's. Roger had an escort, I had a Capri. We brought the stuff up. You've told us to set it all up. And we were just, we could have probably went away with the worst sounding song ever. And we would still would have been made up because it was our first time in a spaceship, yeah. you know, like a real studio. And, uh, and you know, the fact that you, I mean, what you were saying earlier, like you, you quickly realise what a singer goes through to get the best out. That was apparent how you made Heather comfortable. And I, 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 again, maybe I'm biased, but I think that's one of the best vocals she's ever done. You know, she, at 15 or 16 year old or something, you know, and, and you've just got the best out, aye? God, yeah. I, mean, I think she was 15 or just turned 16. I hadn't actually realised. Because she told me that not that long ago, and I was like, what? Really? I thought she was like 20. Because, uh, my God. Nope. We were in our 20s, early yeah. 20s, I think. Aye, we would have been in our 20s. She was a good bit younger than us. But we'd we called it again and got that tune. And uh, another thing I was going to say to you is, but then when we saw the basement of Apollo Recordings, Apollo Studios, was, that just totally blew our minds with the big... It was a, it was it was a Neve desk. Einstein, but it what was, was it? It was 72 Amy. channel with a massive patch bay down one side. It was a massive mixing desk in it. How the hell did you get uh, it done? Well, the, the next thing is, the eight of us took it to get down the stairs, and by that point, we'd built a wall, uh, which was going to be a little office, and we had to actually knock the office wall back down with the desk at an angle to get it round the corner. Um, but yeah, we when we set that place up, the the decision we made the decision that we'd lost one studio, we had to take it a stage further, so we were going to go digital and we weren't going to put in analogue tape recorders like had been in the 70s and 60s and 80s and we were going to make sure we were ahead of the curve and ahead of the competition so we did have digital tape recorders um, and we had very limited digital audio recording which everybody's now got on their phone but back then we could record four tracks and that was wizardry mind blowing wasn't it what, Mm -hmm. what we could do then um, and we get some really good deals on the gear that we had but the, the, the thing that w- was everyone was always always excited about the desk the big speakers most studios had big speakers most studios had a biggish desks but we did have a shed load of keyboards though I mean we really did have I remember the back wall on the right hand side was just loads and it was like quality quality yeah, stuff as well wasn't it all for buttons because that at that time m- the dance thing we were talking uh, 92 so the dance thing hadn't really taken off we weren't buying them as dance synthesizers we were buying them because both me and Callum were synth geeks and, and loved synths for all purposes it wasn't just about dance music for us the studio was never yep. designed for dance music that was just a byproduct of having lots of synthesizers um, but the uh the, the fact was that we were buying these things up for like 80 quid and 90 quid and 150 quid things that are now wow. three grand uh, and and it meant that we just kept because we had the shop people were bringing them in oh, I've got this old keyboard mate will you take it off me uh, well, give me 60 quid for it take it downstairs and go oh, look what I got it's magical <laughs> <laughs> so although it looked like a lot of money it was probably about 1500 quid's worth of synths that was this massive array of stuff. And that, that again, once that started to bleed into people um, either wanted that gear, wanted access to that gear, it was worth hiring the studio just to get access to synths, 
even if Callum or myself had been no use at using them, which wasn't the case, we did know how to use them. Um, uh, I mean, and during that period, you know, you obviously recorded loads of like, even rock bands and all that, but pretty much you were taking in the majority of the club scene records roster and, and recording I did and producing the, the I did tracks in there. club scene did, and, and including much of the, under the other Fire Island brand name um, that Bill had. Uh, it was only maybe about That's right, six he started to license in other tunes that that weren't done by me. And, yeah. and at that point, I realised that uh, it was a dangerous time because if he could buy if he could buy in tunes cheaper than he could have them made, was was not an ideal situation. Um, Seen a kind of change changing things musically, maybe is what you're saying, like yeah, possibly. It's, because I remember as well, again, I was, I was meant to say, like, when you were saying 94, you, were, you almost thought you were going to lose the shop and studio. I remember like, being like constantly coming to you and just loving the time in the, in the basement and, and, and just writing all sorts of dance music. But then as I was coming up to the shops, I was noticing more and more guitars. And then the Oasis explosion, it was almost like people just went, this is what it's all about now and these guitars were just flying out everywhere so that must have been your saving grace with the yeah, shop no was, um but I, I, we should probably wind but before we go too far on to 97 i mean in terms of of you guys coming in the studio you 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 started to come into that studio and i think we must have recorded like uh what was the first thing we recorded in apollo was it one two three four and stuff like that Check your head. No, I think even before that, I mean, we, 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 I, we were working on the first yeah. album tracks and all that. So there was a there was a first album, see, what people, and then yeah, there was a second album. That's, that's everybody knows all these tracks. What they don't know is the, the days you'd come in uh, and you would need to do radio idents for some Australian radio station, <laughs> <laughs> or, or and much funnier when, when you would do the French version. Of, oh I Jesus, that's right. That somebody scream as Kelkan Crier. <laughs> <laughs> and Ron, was it Roger's girlfriend at the time. Uh, you. He's now wife would be translating in my ear. On the quatre. On the quatre. What people would assume is all through that time that you know you're going into studio with this rave crew and we're all mad and get our beanies on and all the rest of it. I had a young daughter to the start of that period and it was it was to say it was business was completely wrong it was my absolute life making music and I, I'll yeah I'm so thankful I spent so much of my life making music mostly with people that I uh, got on so well with and had a great time with but um, it was still that I wasn't you know we weren't there at three in the morning having a laugh I think you you two uh, found it pretty bizarre that you had to be there at ten in the morning because uh, that, that was a big uh, thing for yeah, us to get over but but that you know you'd, you'd come in so we worked a few times and we'd done this that and the other and then you begin to come in and you'd be going yeah we were in Germany doing uh, what was the name of that big festival the uh, Mayday, Mayday or, we did the Mayday be, Festival uh, in Germany and I'd be like oh that's good thinking that you're on like a wee stage at Tea in the Park one of the wee ones just you and Roger with your keyboards playing an obsession to about 40 people in front of me I had I had no <laughs> f- 
fucking idea. You're playing to like ten because you 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 didn't big it up, and I think you you're probably so tired having done these things because usually you would you would be out at the weekends gigging three or four times. You'd be back home, get you know four hours sleep, and then you'd be in the studio with me for a, a day or so, working on something mm. for further down the line. And it, it wasn't that I didn't care, but I just I didn't know what it was you were doing, and I, and I never went out to the raves, and I never saw you live. The first time I ever saw you live um, was at 1994. The first one in September 2014. Wow! It's the first time I'd ever <laughs> actually seen the ultrasonic tunes played up loud. Which, wow, that's right. You came along with Caitlin uh, as well, uh, didn't you? Oh no, I'm sure you. No, that that was that was a uh, that was an album. Uh, was that yeah, a rave or something? Uh, I was DJing at um, Engelston. That was a street rave thing or colours. And <clears throat> you were doing more of a kind of housey type of uh, tech uh, set. No, I'm talking about when you did a proper 1994 hard floor. Ah, okay, right, um, right. Yeah. So it was the first time I'd actually stood on the stage and watched what happens, and I was actually like. Good. That was great. That was great seeing it, uh-huh. and it's almost like why didn't I go? But it just—it wasn't my world. I, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I, I, I had a business that I was running, both studio business and the shop business, and I was quite happy to do to do the music uh, one step away from all of the madness associated with all of that. I kind of. Yeah. I don't regret missing it. I wish it maybe been a couple of times but it was also quite cool to see it when I was much much older <laughs> um, I mean what what sort what other sort of I mean we've had Scooby mm-hmm. on the show and you produced a lot of stuff yep. with Scooby I mean that the somewhere here oh, I can't even remember what it was um, I, was, I just just so was it Sunchime or something <laughs> yeah well we, I did did loads of things with Sco- Scooby loads yeah, of different and, things uh, with Scooby Sunshine was, was uh, a track which was ripped off the idea was ripped off and it then became a massive hit. Mm-hmm. The track wasn't ripped off. They they they, they built their own version of what we'd built. They've, they've been influenced by it, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Influenced by, yeah, I'm not going to call it ripped off. Uh, we did loads of things with Scooby. This is Scooby's Dat Box. So I've got I've got my Dat wow. collection out of the attic for, for today. So uh, in here I've got everything that I ever did that I was able to keep the Dats of, which isn't everything I ever did from back then, but it's an awful lot of it. I mean, each one of these dats, if people don't know, they're like little video cassettes, and uh, each one's got, uh, well, given that we're on with you, it would, there's a, one of the eight ultrasonic boxes, I think there are. Wow. Because there's like multiple variations, I think, so let's, uh, let's make that move. Make that move, so, wow. Make that move oh, remix. Yeah. With there's the remix and then there's the no mal version. That's, <laughs> that's my favourite one. <laughs> uh, and then no girl. So no mal, no girl, no vox. And then there's uh, a version for some German video on there. Sounds yeah, uh, yeah, ominous. ominous. Uh, one, two, three, four. Hey, Mister DJ. That, that's obviously the original. If we did redo it at any point, I don't know if we. I don't think we did actually, did we? No, we never done any remixes of that. As it was, but you know, I've got I've got stuff going back right to 1990. Well, I've I've actually got dats even prior to having a studio. I've got dats from my house because I had a dat machine at home. Um, I've got things in there, so I've got you know, there's things for club scene records. I, I did quite a, not as much stuff, but for 23rd Precinct, 
um, the cooler housier type things that I did um, also did things for other uh, DJs like Stevie Kerr uh, he did various remixes for lots of people Zamo um, uh, who's a mate of Michael Kilkey's uh, do you know Zamo? Uh, yeah Rubber Club um, aye aye did loads of stuff with Zamo and he did things for Slate Records um, lots of poppy type stuff that you would just have even the Slam guys came in the studio were they yeah, working with Callum was it never worked with me um, cause you both had your kind of rosters kind of yeah, thing and just shared Callum, the studio Callum wasn't really into dance music at all not even vaguely he was into much weirder stuff but the Slam guys mm-hmm. kind of liked that because it allowed them to have somebody that I think they saw me as Mr Cheese I'd done a TTF tune and that made me as right and all, all yeah. the rave stuff or whatever yeah. kind of thing it just didn't just didn't sit well with them at all to even vaguely consider they always I, I don't think they looked down their nose at me but but musically they did uh, and that's that's okay it's, everybody's and they were probably right I was probably was the wrong person to work with them uh, yeah but I mean what, what what sort of what rave groups I mean I'm just thinking all the club scene roster you get Dimension Ultimate Buzz Ultimate Buzz every Ultimate Buzz ever done yeah, Rhythmic State wow a box of Rhythmic um, State I don't have everything out here there's a lot of stuff in here that there's only like one record uh, uh, there's loads and loads of club scene stuff Dimension, we've been our club scene yeah, band. Don't, don't Stop, which was Dimension's first tune, which is a great tune. And, and the vocalist that did uh, Dimension's Don't Stop was a girl called Hazel Taylor, a, a stunning singer, absolutely awesome singer. And she did a, a track with me for club scene. Uh, it was a cover of a, a 70s disco tune called Groove Me. And it still has the distinction she holds the distinction for me because people will say ah oh, I did that in one take no it didn't but she did but it's the way what happened to the groove me vocals so she'd uh, come in she sort of sung it in the room with me once along with the track she wasn't singing to a mic she was just going ah, really good. I said right well, will we go and do a take she went through to the room I hit record she just chimed in at the start and as we're about three minutes, the track was about six and a half minutes long, as we're about three minutes into it, I'm like, oh, God, it's so good, it's, it's so perfect, it can't be this perfect. It gets to the end and the lights go out, the power goes off, everything dies. No! And Bill, Bill Granger was in at the time when we had to leave the building by, this was the days before you had a phone, but with no light, we had to fight, fumble our way out the building, go across the road to the pub across the road, grab a coffee, not knowing whether that perfect take and it was a perfect take was there. I didn't know whether it was until you hit wow. save it was there or not. Got back, power went back on, go across, fire it up. It was there. And it, it ended up being Brilliant. vocal. That vocal is the vocal from start to finish in its entirety. No edits. I've never, First I've take, never boom. done that before with anybody, yeah. regardless of how good they were. And I've worked with a huge number of awesomely talented singers. Um, but that that was just that was a really special moment when A the power went out and B realised that it worked uh, aye 
and you're waiting in anticipation. Is it is it there? Is it there? I knew that she, it's not that she couldn't have bettered it, but it was just bang on the money, right? Something happened. I mean, when you're working, it's probably going to be hard because I'm sitting here, but when you're working with different bands, is every band or producer or DJ that comes in, is it different or is it, is it all pretty much the same when you're sitting in and you're just kind of driving? No, it's totally, totally different for everybody. Everybody's totally different, the way they work and... I... Some people would come in with the track done. Um, I didn't work with the Rhythmic State when they did their first few tracks. So by the time they started working with me, they arrived with it done. And it was literally just mm -hmm. mixing what they brought. They'd even have the vocals all recorded and everything. Uh, they did it really well organised. So it was just to get, they were just wanting a big yeah. desk sound kind of thing. And then, cool. yeah. And to be honest, I never really enjoyed that. Because I never really thought of myself as a mix engineer. And in fact, I mm. actually I, I, I take offence at the term engineer. And don't often, I never really ever said that, but I, I hate the term engineer. As far as I was concerned, an engineer's got his like, dirty hands and uh, is a screwdriver. Uh, <laughs> on the remote? <laughs> on the remote. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 to start with, I was a musician um, and I uh, was, was producing the music. Uh, so so I, I never really particularly enjoyed a, a straight mix job. I much preferred yep. um, something. You, you guys tended to come in with your tunes pretty well thought through. And again, probably latterly, you had them very well thought through. But I did really enjoy when we'd get our hands dirty on something or other mm -hmm. in the tune. Yep. It was a creative thing happened in the studio and it wasn't just getting the level right and print it down yeah uh, like to be to be some yeah. something happening in there that, that got your hands dirty uh, but I, what I always used to love coming and you know into the studio and working with you you know and right up to even in my solo stuff is like you it's like you just you commit yourself that much it's almost like you're a member of the group or the project. You know, there, there's no holding back. You just you just submerge yourself in the, the project or the track while you're working on it at the time. You know, you, you know there isn't any sort of, you know, you're no holding back and saying, I'm not on the clock for this kind of thing. You know, you're, you're all in. A lot of people, uh, producers would say to me things like, uh, oh, I keep my best ideas back for my own tunes. And I was always like, that's a bloody stupid idea. Absolutely idiotic idea. As far as I was concerned, if you could get paid to do music, actually, if, if as long as you could afford to do music all the time, which is you have to get paid to do it to be able to do that, uh, yeah, yeah. then you've won, right? So that's the result. And I was able to do that for years, uh, probably the thick end of about 18 years of my life. I was able to do that as all I did. Um, but you don't do that by hanging back. So I treated every single thing I ever did as if it was my own song, as if it... Uh, yeah. And, and so somebody would come in the door and they, they maybe have written a song but they have no idea about the music and a lot of the things I did latterly in my second phase of my life was people, songwriters was the, uh, the, the biggest type of person I would work with and they would, they would have a song, sometimes just a song in their head, they could sing it but they'd have no chords and basically it would just be I would do the rest of it so for the first couple of hours they'd just sit and wait for me to bring them a backing track and then we'd do the vocals and then I'd just fill all the rest of the blanks in and that could be blanks yeah. up to including backing vocals 
And mentally, as far as I was concerned, I was doing whatever was needed. I was trying to be the, uh, you know, the the, stand, the Swiss Army knife, or musically. I, <laughs> I learned over the years to be able to play um, what I would need to play on guitars, bass, uh, keyboards, and and I, I, I could sing backing vocals. You wouldn't want a lead vocal necessarily, but sing backing vocals. So, We've yeah, done it. We have, We've uh, done yeah, it a couple of times. There's a couple of songs there that I mean lead vocals, heavily processed, of course. But I, I just thought that I wanted to put my all into it because then by the end of the day, I would be proud and happy of it. And if I was proud of it, I would hope that people would be proud of it as well because I treated it as if I was, part, as you say, part of the band. There's very, mm-hmm. very few people I've ever worked with once very very few and uh, I don't know how many it is but it's certainly a tiny proportion of people I've worked with and I take that as a success whatever others oh definitely I mean like there's you know when you're up you, all the times obviously sometimes you're up against deadlines and all that studio time starts to get a wee bit more serious but you know when, when you're in I think and it's something I've held all through my career is if you're not enjoying who you're working with, don't do it, you know, and that's what was always good working with you because you, you have, a, you know, obviously you're there to do a mix or a job or a tune, but you're having fun while you're doing it. And and you're really good at making, you know, whether it's me getting to record a vocalist or, or, a, or a, a vocal singer or, you know, Roger and I stressing out about a mix, just that, even that calming, um, you know, like, wait a minute, guys, we can get this or, you know, it's loads more even more than so than just the music you know there's there's almost like a psychological thing going you know like Jedi mind trick <laughs> you know all these skills are just acquired the, the number one producer skill has nothing to do with music it's all to do with that if you can do that it doesn't really matter how good you are at the music some really successful producers I've no idea uh, if they aren't know anything about music but that they are they are supreme at that of getting the, the best out of people encouraging them, mm. um, helping them not to go down blind alleys, telling them to do more of something or less of something, um, or just buying them drugs, whatever it is they, they need. That <laughs> 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 was never my strategy. But Have you have you ever like, been in a, a in like, situations or where you're really having to dig deep because you're just not enjoying oh, working yeah, with yeah, the yeah. person I how, I mean how do you get through a day uh, like that really difficult really hard uh, I would always when you need your business to work and you somebody wants to book time it's really hard to turn them down if you need the booking yep. so it was lucky and later in life I wouldn't work with anybody that I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to and also because yeah. I was working from home by that point again and I, I wouldn't want it, somebody in my house that I wasn't happy with so anybody that's worked with me since 2005 you can be assured I liked you <laughs> or if I, worked, if I worked with you more than once I liked you because I wouldn't like you back in again um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it, was, it was hard it, was, it wasn't fun and games every single time we always it was the guys in the, in the shop uh, Jim you remember uh, he'd go who's in the, sh- yeah, the who, legend who's in the studio today I'd say ultrasonic oh that's, that's, that's a good day then an ultrasonic day was a good day because you, you would know that I wouldn't be stressed uh, I wouldn't come out of the studio stressed it would be however hard it was we were working towards a common goal 
and we we just yeah. knew what to do with each other, and it was it was just sensible. But some some sessions were stressful. Some people made sessions uh-huh. stressful. But going back to the thing about you said about um, how much what do people bring? Uh, how much uh, and how much do I need to do for different people? It varied wildly, but the the least anybody ever brought, which. Is, <laughs> Because <laughs> obviously, you know, as I say, Rhythmic State and, 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 and you, you guys would quite regularly bring some very much fully formed. Um, some people, I did, I've done lots of mixing, pure mixing jobs over the years. But this one guy, and I'm not going to name him, but Gary Burns and Sarah Cart- Barnes know who he is. So if they happen to be listening to this, they'll, they'll, they can, they can put it in the comments, uh, save me the trouble. Yeah. So he came. And he booked the time. He tried to do me for money as well, which we, which we did got back. And and he sat down with me. So I'm sitting at the keyboard, and I'm he's, and I said, okay. So what are we doing then? Because he had he, he says, um, okay, something bouncy with pianos. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I looked around at him. And I, I, I okay. Put my hands on the keyboard, expecting something else like sometimes people just brought samples you know if you brought a sample yeah and going something bouncy with pianos to this sample or can you play something that's like that no something bouncy with pianos and that was it I bet he left with a tune at the end of the day his own tune <laughs> apparently brilliant and, and, and is that is that was it a DJ or a producer or like, you don't even mention any names but it was a total wanker actually uh, a total wanker and a, and a, oh, and a right. man uh, and uh, to boot ah ok but, uh, but yeah but a lot, of, a lot of times people brought in samples and that was cool because there was you know there's an idea in the sample there's a, there's a vibe there it's like ok so that and that and either of those two things are going to go really well together and that's going to make something brand new even though the, and they obviously go really well or in the case of Scooby two things that fucking like magnets forced against <laughs> each other and, how am I going to join them? how's that going to work? and that, yeah. that, that was a, 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 latterly became a game with Scooby how can I make these two things fit? it must have been amazing I mean that's what that's what I love about Scooby Scooby is Scooby and the, the, he, he just says I remember he told me he actually said it on the show that he came in with like, I think it was like a VHS cassette player with Hill Street Blues on it or something like that and I can't remember what else it was and then he, he said it was the video Highlander <laughs> the film and and then he's getting there you go Andy I'm away for a fish supper (laughs) I didn't go away for a fish supper he went away till the middle afternoon oh my minutes I'm in a cold sweat thinking (laughs) (laughs) if I don't make a track I mean this is this is a harsh reality of it you're young you've got a business and you've got a family if I don't make a track and he comes back and I haven't got anything he's not going to pay me and he's not going to pay me if it's rubbish so it better be good how the fuck am I going to make this any good? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so there's there's a kind of horror in there, but there's also then there's complete freedom because I could do whatever I wanted as long as it was good. Yeah. Credit to Scooby as well for just having the the, the, the mad inspiration to fuse. He's coming to you with some ingredients at least, you know. He's not just going, give me something bouncy in a piano or something, you know. He, he's, he's and, and a lot of people, DJs in particular, probably are coming in with just an idea or a couple of records. Whereas I, I could never 
kind of buy into that but I get why DJs would do it because there's more into their records I was maybe more into sampling of the records and but stuff you, you but again you, you were in a back then though you, you became a DJ as, as time went on no but bizarrely I, I had started DJing and then I wanted to make the music that I was yeah. playing that's that's how I just kind of I quickly knew that playing other people's records wasn't for me it was more I wanted to write the stuff kind of thing but um, no I wasn't any DJ a thing that nobody will know because you would never have said this but anybody listening to this they would, and you'd like I think I've told you this before but um, I mean you guys did some uh, some amazingly varied things as well in the times we worked together but um, this might seem like the silliest skill to have but your your skill at working a fader or a knob on a synth <laughs> no, I, 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 no, no, listen you, you can laugh but it used to piss me off piss me off in a nice way like I would be sitting mucking about with the 303 going hey I'm the king of the world he doesn't he doesn't he, he doesn't need to do this I can do it he's listening to it as we're running the track over I can do this he doesn't need to do it and then we'd go for the mix down and you'd go and do it and I was like yep you're better at it <laughs> <laughs> even though it's just turning a knob because it isn't just because it isn't just turning a knob because it's feeling the vibe and also in a 303 is again people not necessarily likely to know but it's only got like eight knobs on it but the way they interact is totally bizarre and you totally yeah. knew how to make that thing live and come to life and you're always infinitely better than I could ever be at, at, at making a track come to life and I've always tried to make the synths live. I don't like synths that sound sterile, uh, and yeah. it's one of your. Every, I don't think anybody's brilliant at, at that many things, but everybody's brilliant at mm -hmm. some things, and you, you, yeah. you could definitely make those synths come alive, which is making them talk. And I think that's one of the things you know. Did what did people like about ultrasonic tunes? Was it you? Talking shit, whatever. <laughs> I suspect it wasn't that. Actually, I suspect it was actually that they could lock in to some of these things you were doing on the synths, and they didn't even know they were doing it, and they would get that connection yeah. to it. But again, nobody would know that because only the only people that would know would be you, me, and Roger. Because but Roger would always have been done other synth things, and you would you were always yeah. the, the man on the man on the knob. Maybe you still are. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I've got glasses now. <laughs> That's very nice of you to say. I mean, maybe it's just, again, I, I'm standing in dance floors and, and, and just seeing around me what's happening or doing gigs and you see certain sounds doing... I mean, you'd always try to get that, make the machines a wee bit yeah, human, like yeah. you were saying, kind of thing, you know? So will we cut to be play a couple of tunes from your production time? It could be rave or whatever, you know, we want to pick a couple of tunes. I don't necessarily think that uh, these two tunes are, are necessarily my favourite from that whole time of production in the 90s. And one of them is yours. So it makes it sound like... Because actually, <laughs> much as a, a love obsession, I think I love it now more because I know that so many pe other people love it. And I, I, I yeah. think it's great, but there's uh, there's other tunes uh, that you, we did in that time that uh, do you believe in love, um, make that move, and other tunes that actually are probably from a pure tune basis actually prefer. But you, I can't get away from the fact that obsession 
was transformative for you guys and and it, it, it was it, it was helpful for me and my reputation in much the same way that TTF uh, John Campbell's real love and making that connection with, with Bill Granger and what that led to with club scene because it led to you guys and so many other things and it, people that I still worked with up until I stopped producing five years ago uh, full time I was still working with some people who either from that time or who knew about that time and wanted you know that reputational thing stayed with me so those two tunes seem to be the ones I think to play Seven inch ver seven inch versions of both, please. Poppy's <laughs> Fantasy. 
what I did want just when you were mentioning Obsession and you touched on it earlier with the bass drum I remember when we were making Obsession and you saying there's not a bass line in this and we were like it's the Jupiter 8 it's the bass line and at that time that was that was giving us a lot of hassle and you were like we really need it you know like I genuinely think it was you mixing the, the kick in that loop to almost substitute or become the bass or to hold the bottom end in and that's what gave it the, the, the thunder because it didn't have a bass line in it it did have a wee acidy but, but that wasn't like a why did it not have a bass line? what the fuck were you playing at? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you, but it's just I mean again in that mix the mix that you got on it yeah. I probably I probably but was you must probably like going God this isn't bassy enough I need to ramp this up so I was battling and sometimes battles are where the the magic lies you have a battle with mm. one thing and what comes out the other end isn't what you thought but it's it, it works because I've forgotten how many sound systems were blown by playing obsession because it's all really quiet and stringy and oh set me free and then when that kick comes in it's just <laughs> <laughs> But good. To, I mean, then again, you know, if if we hadn't came to you and and worked on that track, you know, obviously, you know, I don't, I don't know, would have done some sort of mix of it that it just wouldn't have hit hit the spots the way it did, you know, and we would probably wouldn't be sitting talking here because you were a big guy for Glasgow and we were wee guys for Ayrshire and pro, I don't even know if our paths would have yeah, crossed. The, the, the might have, the might not have. I, I suspect they probably would have. Actually, it's one of those those kind of things, but. Yeah, it was just a. Uh, we we did so many things we did over that that time. Uh, we, we haven't yeah. touched on what we latterly did the bikini state stuff that I, I loved uh, as as doing at the yeah. end. You know, guitars and beats and uh, what what a what a way that we finished off that whole period on. Um, that was amazing. I mean, you you would just pick up the bass lines and we would listen to samples, listen to tracks, and then you, I, I, I I can't remember the name of the tracks. DJs in the move or something. And you just played this amazing, like just like boom. What about this? <laughs> and me and Roger's jaw just dropped. We were just like, let's get that. In. <laughs> you remember that? Because you would just sit with the baseline, and you know, for all the baselines, we'd love to sample. It was the first time you actually just played something, and we were just like, what the fuck? You can do that as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a, you remember I'm that, a, no? Yeah, I, I remember. I know the track you're talking about. Um, I'm a better bass player than I'm a guitarist. Um, I'm not that great a guitarist. I, always, yeah. always, I, I can pretend to play the guitar really well to somebody who yeah. can't play the guitar, but I can't play, pretend to play the guitar to a guitarist. They know I'm not a guitarist. Right, right. Uh, but to a non-guitarist, they think I'm great. That's, that's the trickery. Well, I think you're great. <laughs> I mean, so like, you've, you're, you're, the, the studio's just on fire with the amount of dance stuff that's coming through I mean you've you've also got like rock bands and stuff coming through are you seeing a change in tide does, does dance music going out of favour when when the, when the shop's just gone on fire with the sales that of guitars and what happened as what I saw was more and more people coming to the studio with their songs pre-done right and I knew how clever our technology was because we had, by that point, we had incredible. We didn't just have four tracks of digital recording. We had like twenty-four tracks of digital recording. We'd built in digital effects years before people would normally have it. But I could see that computers were getting more powerful, and the people that had done well, yourselves, Rhythmic State, and uh, other folk like that, had got really good equipment themselves. 
It's not that they didn't need us anymore, but effectively just needed us for a mixing desk and for speakers. And there wasn't a business in mixing desk and speakers. There was only a business in people needing to come to a studio. And come 1997, I felt that this was a business I couldn't see as being able to maintain our advantage and not our advantage over other studios, but our advantage over our customers. And the fear was mm-hmm. the customers wouldn't need us anymore. <laughs> that they would do so much yeah, in their right. houses that they might just like keep what they'd done in their house. As is what happened a little bit sooner than I predicted, but, but not that, maybe five years on, people would start to do things closer to complete in their house. So mm-hmm. I, I did a deal with Callum and I took over the shop completely <clears throat> and he took over the studio completely and I ran the shop um, along with Jim uh, and latterly not with Jim until 2005 when I when I, I sold up and I decided to, to get out of that and I was lucky enough to have a good few months of not having to do anything. Uh, well, about a year. Oh, but I say not doing anything, I, I kept it busy by uh, doing a lot of cycling. And I decided I wanted to get back into music because although I'd owned the music shop, I hadn't made any music in any serious way. So I spent that year um, messing around in a very basic uh, setup I had in the house. And I started writing some tunes and I got a girl called Jackie Hamilton. I was uh, paying her as a session vocalist. She'd come in record the songs and after about four or five songs that I was paying her for it became like we were almost like a band sort of similar to myself Mm -hmm. and Melanie it was became like a project it wasn't really just my project it was our project and um, and that was that was a a great time because I had the time and the freedom to to do it exactly as I wanted to do it And, and it took me that kind of year to get my chops back up because I've been out of it for quite a long time I've been out of it I still was producing in seven in '98, but not that much. So I'd been about seven years away from it. Stuff had moved on, but now I could produce in the box in my house. Didn't need a mixing desk. Didn't need any synths. Could all be done, you know, in the machine, which is what I'd always wanted. The, the, the synths were just a hissy, out of tune, buzzy nightmare. Uh, I just mm-hmm. wanted the noises. I don't really care how the noises were made. I'm certainly not precious about getting them getting made in, in synthesizers, and I don't own a synthesizer to this day. And uh, and I got back into doing music slowly and gently, but by I think 2007, I was starting to I developed a, a new clientele for some new clients, and um, but I was determined this time not to just do dance music because I'd really fallen into a dance music rut which was because it was the only thing I'd done that was successful was dance music and I loved it but it does do your head in when you start each day <laughs> and, and really the question is is it is it 132 135 140 or 165 we're at today and and the drum yeah, beat yeah. pretty much set after that that point just wasn't enough variation mm-hmm. for me not to be doing it you know five days a week I needed more variation and I wanted it to be less um, about one genre and more about just the wider so I, I managed to to rig it that I was doing a much wider range of things a lot of songwriters still doing remix work still doing dance stuff and it meant my dance stuff was a lot better 
because mm-hmm. you were enjoying like, get, taking it on because exactly. yeah, yeah. did a lot of stuff which you, I credit you with with helping guide me back into uh, the because you you'd never stopped so um, you sort of pulled me up by my coattails into sort of sort of new techniques and things um, which was which was great we did we did quite a few things in, in that second Aye. stage yeah I mean that that's that was just one of the things I was like touch on because you know the obviously there was the, the when I when I that when I done my XL album we'd worked together on a couple of tracks but I think what what for me you really helped me get the the noise out of my head is when we done the computer games and I, I you know I, I don't I don't think there was anybody else that could have helped me that they the, with that album because you know like, you were able to play bass lines. You were able to play, you know, although you, you don't credit yourself as a guitarist. For me, when I'm saying, can you do something like this or whatever, you were, you know, doing exactly, you know, what was needed in that album. And then on the vocal side of things, you know, you were working with, with Ross. You introduced me to Ross. And then we were recording with Ross. You know, you, you just got takes out of Ross. It was just mega. And then even when when I came up with the mad idea to do the full album live, it was very much you who when I was when I was going, this is the fucking stupidest idea ever. It was again you just with all your years of experience going, no wait, it's cool. This is what we need. You know, almost kind of like just reassured me and going, we can do it. You know, and again, it was definitely that you just kind of gave yourself to the the project and just became. You know the band member, even though there wasn't a band, but technically I suppose there was. You know, you just came in and just added just a special sauce to that setup that it would it would never. I don't I don't think it would ever have happened had I know what were you on that project because you brought so much more than just my mate who was helping me realise these tracks. You know, and I think it maybe lends to where you were, where you were experiencing, enjoying not just working in dance, but with yeah. instruments again and songs and, and and singers, and and we obviously we had uh, we had two singers even in that gig, um, which was yeah, that's right, aye. So some of these things that you found difficult or just dead easy to me, speaking to vocalists and, and helping guide them through what to do and how how to do it, or or not how what to do and how to do it, but you know, just giving them the confidence to to find the safe space for them to exist because to perform, to do anything really well, you need to feel that everything's good. Everything's good around you and if you don't, then you're, you're just going to panic and clam up. Um, but no, I, I totally loved the, the King Tuts. Both gigs were, were great for in their own way. The King Tuts gig was yep. just off the scale mental. But the, <laughs> the, the other gig, the second gig, which was like a year and a bit later, was if it literally was my last gig, the last thing I did musically, uh, having stopped producing full time. So it was like my farewell gig, and obviously I have pro- actually produced since, uh, but it's just been very, you know, one thing here or one thing there. It's not been when I was doing it as my my job. So it was pretty exciting to f- to finish knowing I had that gig to do. And it, and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. It was really, really good. And it was good because actually I could hear that gig because I couldn't hear the first one. The crowd was, the crowd was so <laughs> mad at King Tuts. I never heard anything. I didn't know what happened. It was a laugh. But, it was, 
Yeah, God knows what it sounded yeah. like. Um, it looked good, but. I just remember you rocking it. It was even on like the acoustic guitar on Honey or something like that. You were getting, I looked up and you were getting right into it and I just got this over, I just this feeling of just, yes. Yeah, I wasn't putting it on, I was having uh, it. Yeah, you were in it. my life. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, it was great. I mean, so look, was so, I mean, was it obviously the time when you kind of, you, you, you moved away from music and did you just feel that had the music industry changed or that you know like you, you, you all through your you know your career you, you've seen sort of changes almost predicting them like the, the change in music and, and, and this that and other was it was it then easier for you to kind of go like it's just no happening anymore or you're known you're still got your hand in it but it's not your full time anymore but I don't know what I'm trying to say if you, the question which you're, you haven't asked <laughs> I mumbled it's about. Why did I stop? Um, the 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 reason I stopped was dead simple. I think I must have been forty seven, and I think I was the best producer I ever was. Then, I think I was absolutely better than I'd ever been. I don't think I was ever better than then. And because I felt I'd only just got better and better and better over the years, I didn't want to get any less good than that. And I thought, am I going to get that much better? <laughs> or is it likely that at this age, I plateau out that I can't really be relevant anymore? Because I hadn't been super successful when I came back. I was able to do lots of production and I did lots of great things working with some amazing people, but I didn't have any... Um, big successes that sort of cut through am I going to be able to be as relevant um, I couldn't be sure I actually in the last two years of my production I worked with more uh, young performers than I'd worked in most of the rest of my and I worked with a lot of like 16, 17 year olds which was, was fantastic you know young let's not call them kids because it makes me like a really old man who were clearly the future of some version of the music business um, whether they yeah. went on to do anything sort of didn't matter in a sense but they were as good as anybody I'd ever worked with probably better than many people I'd worked with over the years because kids nowadays they, they tend to be a bit more focused actually uh, than, than sort of dafties of when when maybe when we were young we would just hey or a party whereas nowadays folk in music they know they have to be a bit more focused but I just thought I don't want to wake up one morning or hear from somebody that I'm not as good as I used to be. I couldn't bear that. I've always, as you said, I've always mm. been kind of ahead of things. Um, we, I was in digital recording before anybody else had a digital recording studio. Um, a, a totally digital recording studio, that is. Um, I, there's, there's lots of things, I mean, in, in my... Merchant City Music, we had a website before almost any other retailer uh, had, a, had a website. So I've always been kind of at the, the front of the curve and leading the pack for change. And I just thought, I think my time has come and I'd rather I left when people were going, what are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, uh, then, then people go, ah, it's probably about time. Uh, <laughs> 
Because I didn't know when I got back into it whether I'd be able to do it, whether anybody would want to pay me to do it. Because I'd been out of it and I didn't have the equipment and I, I didn't really want to invest lots of money in it because I didn't know if it would work or whether I was, you know, kidding myself on it at 37, whatever it was. Yeah, 37 I must have been. That I, I really shouldn't have been trying to get back into producing and I should have been joining a wedding band. Um, but I, I, <laughs> I, I, I did have more to give. And, and I do think that my technically my best productions were in that second period of time um, emotionally my best productions in terms of the capturing it, the equipment allowed me to do what I'd always wanted to do but was limited when I was younger that's not to denigrate the, the things that I did back then that people have gone on to love and I, I love the fact that I've done some things that some people totally love and it has defined their youth for them and I'm, I'm so proud of having been part of that with you and and with plenty others I'm, I'm absolutely I'm not going to use the word blessed because that's a religious word I'm going to stay for. I am lucky let's use that lucky's not now strong enough let's just use blessed I'm going to blessed to have have had that chance to have worked, met and worked with loads of great people back then but I think I probably when I was younger I just wanted number one hits you know that's what I wanted I wanted number one hits and because uh, that's in your mind is that what a success yeah, is or is that number one hits number one albums and anything short of that in a, in a sense was failure and because as maybe you're right in a way that the music had moved and I wasn't going to get it with dance music then uh, come 1997 so therefore I, I again I felt at that time was the time I, I was a bit uh, weather beaten from all the beats uh, and, mm. and I, I needed to move on from my own, my own sanity and I, maybe, I think I wasn't producing as good stuff towards the end I think that's why I didn't want that to happen the second time I wanted to go out producing right. the, my best stuff at the end whereas I hadn't at the end of my first period I was I'd allowed myself to be too downtrodden by it um, so can't remember what where the thre- where this, this thread was going, but uh, but yeah, I think you can kind of understand you know what I'm saying. As I I, I, I yeah. totally totally loved it. I wanted to be head of the game, but the time was to to get away from that. Mm-hmm. So looking back, I mean, you're. You're, you're kind of you're, you're back I mean I, I don't know if you want to speak about what you're doing now Andy or you know because that's been a good few years you've been, you've been doing that I've, I've been, I'm still I mean I'm still in music I've never left music I've been yep. I've, I've, that's, what, that's what I'm saying you know music one one area of the music industry uh, since I left school uh, I, I now uh, work for a company that sells musical instruments so I've still surrounded my day, uh, still involves musical instruments. I work with musicians. Everybody that works for the company I work for are musicians. Some of them are exceptional musicians. Um, And you're just working with people that are still in that same headspace. I've never really had to work with the general public. I don't know what they're like. (laughs) 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 All I know is musicians. Um, and again, that's that's an odd joy of my life is that I've, I've, you know, had yeah. that that benefit. But, but yeah, and I've I've even in my my recent past done some some cool things. Uh, last year, I got to go to the premiere of a of a movie because I, I got a guitar into to be used in the film. 
which was that's right. I got to walk down the red carpet, which is actually yellow. Uh, <laughs> 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 I walked straight past Lily James, uh, which was, which was yeah. very cool. So, uh, what was it? That was yesterday. yesterday. Was that was I? Because you also had the the. The pre- I don't know if it was a premium or not, it was like a showing of the film. thing that we did in Glasgow. Which in Glasgow as well, yeah. So I, ah, that was great, I came along with Maria. I managed to, to blag some some fun stuff going on that's that's, uh-huh. uh, that's pretty special. But I, I've, I've worked with, say, I, I, I'm very conscious that some people who I've, I've probably worked with over the years um, maybe listen to this and I feel, I always feel like I should name check everyone and say, he was dead good. She was dead good, and and it's and I, I'm not going to do it because actually the reality is it's just too many people. And if I missed out, I could miss out fifty people that I thought were great folk and we had a lovely time, and it would it would be horrible if if I didn't. But there was there was there was so many folk. I think we would need to set aside a good hour for you to name check everybody you've worked with, yeah. <laughs> possibly longer. Yeah, and certainly in in the dance music field in Scotland. I think I've worked with the majority of the people at least once um, who of note. The only person I don't think I've worked with, if I, uh, well, Scott Brown. I don't think I've ever worked with Scott Brown. Well, that's a surprise. I thought you'd have yeah, done something there. No, I don't think I did. Although I did do one QTX track. Uh, for for twenty third precinct, so so if Scott if Scott's listened to this, he's probably going. We did work with you, big man. What are you talking about? <laughs> but this it's all a blur. But it's, Scott is an, a, an amazing uh, producer, and uh, it's, he's he's one of these guys that he's just constantly popping up. He's one of these ones that's like he's just always doing great stuff. You know, uh, he, I think he switched on to the business side of things right early on as well, which done him well. Uh, so I mean, looking back. On your sort of career, Andy, what, what I would I would love you to do for the, your final two tracks is pick two of your own tracks that you've produced that you're particularly proud of. But before that, have you, you know, have you or do, have you ever listened to like your old dat tapes or old recordings that you've been? It's, it's something I kind of find hard hard kind of doing, and it, every now and again somebody will play something or you you've stumbled on something and it's a weird feeling you almost hear it with somebody yeah. else's ears but have you do you ever listen to to your own back catalogue of the tracks you've been involved with the tracks you've produced or do you leave it in the past or do you visit it well the old tracks are difficult to listen to because they're on DAT or I suppose a lot of them are on YouTube um, not not earning any of the correct people money uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um and I, I don't spend a vast amount of time listening to the old stuff. I think sometimes I listen to the old things and, and I listen and go, God, that's not as good as I thought it was. You know, it sounds really boxy and it's just not as good. We didn't have the technology. But then there's other times I've listened to something I did when I was like 16. And I'm like, how did I do that when I was 16? How, mm-hmm. how did 16-year-old me on the limited gear I had back then, pull that together. I, I literally have no idea because back then I would have been doing it with, you know, two tin cans and a bit of string, relatively speaking. And I, I suppose there's a kind of joy in there. You're like, okay, 
that's kind of I'm, I'm, on the one hand maybe I didn't get as I didn't get as much better as I thought I did because I was already quite good then. But on the other hand, it makes me quite maybe quite proud to listen back to the 16 or 17 year old me was really trying really hard, committing all his money, all his time, all his energy, working say working with Melanie. Um, you know, we haven't we haven't spoken terribly much about her. She almost certainly not listen to us, <laughs> but, but she's she's still <laughs> my best pal. I've actually, although I, I, I described meeting her in, in fifth year at school, she actually was pals with uh, my neighbour when, and she used to come and walk my dog when I was five. She'd come down and so wow. I've actually known her since then, and uh, and I texted her just this afternoon about something because I mixed I missed a text from her last week. She's still my best pal. Um, and she's I've worked with so many brilliant singers and I'm not going to name the ones the other ones individually because there's so many super talented mainly women I think I've worked with way more women like like 98% women to men I've hardly worked with any male singers realistically um, and it, it's always been a pleasure working with vocalists have just been my favourite thing but there's something about what Melanie can do with her voice that is just otherworldly. When you're in the room with her and she sings, it is does it quite incredible. The the song she sang in her first audition on X Factor is an old Janis Joplin song called Cry Baby, and we recorded a version of it here um, a couple of months after she'd been on the show. So not in this house, but in my, my studio at the time. And there's some elements of that vocal are just, just outrageous. The, the emotion and the energy and the control and the power. Um, and we still, on the odd occasion, we don't. We, we, the last time we performed was at my daughter's wedding, uh, when she actually had pneumonia, which we didn't know at the time. But she developed it about two or three wow. days later. That's and, a trooper. That's a trooper. She sang "Proud Mary" like she was at the performing to the Hydro to thirteen thousand people. Um, but when when we perform together and the things we've done, there's there's a kind of special magic. It just comes from years of knowing each other and knowing where where yep. where we go, and uh, whatever my um, frailties and my musicianship, of which there are many, because I'm by no means the best. Um, musician at any instrument that I play I, I pretty much can play what I need to play um, to do the job that I've needed to do but I think we've all we've always connected um, so one of the two tunes you've got there there's actually two versions of it one of them is from 1990 it's called Smile uh, the song and this song was going to be released by Kickin' Records don't know if you remember very cool I remember kicking records yeah yeah I even remember the logo we went down to London and we'd already had it pretty much recorded we just mixed it down there because the guy wanted us to do it down there it's a bad experience but the, the uh, and because it was a bad experience it, it never got released because the guy was was a, a nut job uh, as was the um, anyway um interestingly not that long before I finished producing um, I found the dat and I was like man I wonder if I've got the vocals from the dat 
and I did, I had all the vocals, including a verse that wasn't on the original, but that we'd recorded, that we never used in the original. Mm-hmm. And I made a 2015 version of it. And when you listen to it, and you listen to that hook line that, that she sings at the start of it, it's dead simple, it's one note, pretty much. Let the rhythm move your body, feel the music take control. That should have been a hit in 1990. I mean, it's absolutely ripping. The quality of the original doesn't let you hear the vocal, but because I did the, 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 the vocals were recorded digitally, I recorded them uh, back then, so that I had them preserved perfectly. The new version, you can really hear what the vocals were like, and it's... Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not spine-tingling to anybody else, but spine-tingling to me. She'd maybe play a wee 30 seconds of, of one and then a wee minute of the other um, the, and maybe some people prefer the 1990 version but uh, I just love the fact that it's the same vocal track um, and it's 25 years later years later I'm still pals and I still love, love the track
still love the fact of the emotion it evokes of the time and sort of brought it forward. Um, yeah. So that's one track. And the other track is uh, a track called All I Need Is A Little Shelter. And this is actually the remix version, which I thought was more appropriate for this, this podcast. It's not that remix, it's just it's uh, less cheesy than the, the main 7-inch version. And it's a, uh, I, I was doing this daft charity thing for a year for the charity shelter. Uh, where I ate, I mean, I, I, you need to I talk ate, about that. That was outside every single day for a year. Every single <laughs> day, rain or shine. And for anybody that doesn't believe me, there are videos of every single day um, to prove it, which are all actually hidden on YouTube. But I can show them to anybody off the phone. So I was about two and a half months into it, and um, a family friend, Susan McGeever, goes on Facebook and goes, You should write a song for this. And I was like, Hi, right. And don't know what sparked in my head. And I went, and this was, I'm reading this on Facebook on my phone. This is 20, 2014. Reading it on Facebook on my phone. Uh, 2013 it is. And outside, I have my breakfast, and I go back inside, and a wee idea comes to me. And by half 11 in the morning, later on that morning, I'd recorded what was effectively a demo of it. I'd written the whole song, end to end, and uh, later on, uh, I think maybe the next day, I had Sarah Barnes uh, coming over to do some session vocals for me for some other track. And she came over and I said, listen, when you're over, have you got an extra sort of 20 minutes just to fling a vocal down on this? Because I just wanted a proper vocal on it. I didn't just want, you know, my vocal. I wanted to hear what it sounded like a proper vocal. She laid it down and then I was like, wonder if I could get a couple of people to do bits of vocals on it and kind of share it around do the old you know live aid do the know it's Christmas thing with it <laughs> so I put up on Facebook um, is anybody up for doing this and within about 10 minutes I'd had about 10 responses from people that were you know ridiculously good people so I was like that right let's have a day I was thinking still still on the band aid do you know it's Christmas tip let's have a day in the studio and we can knock it out in a day Turn up whenever you're free, do your bit, go away, end of the day, bang, mix it. Of course, nobody's available that day. About two people, two people <laughs> available. Everybody's, I can come on Tuesday at 10, I can come on Wednesday, what about a week on Thursday? So, and as it went on, more and more people got in touch, saying, listen, I'd, I'd love to do something, can I do this, can I do some guitar on it? Can I do it? So it, it, it became this kind of... Um, chain letter from loads and loads of people I'd, I'd people and every time somebody came I took their picture we were wearing a shelter t-shirt I got them to do something daft out in the garden as well people brought their kids with them um, in total there was 30 people involved in it it was by far the most time I've spent doing any single recording um, it took I was basically doing it all day every day for a month because for each person I then needed to edit down what they'd done and then mix it into what I currently had and once I got to the end I needed mm -hmm. to go back through and pick the very best bits and, and mash it all together it was incredibly complicated super complicated dead simple tune well actually more complicated than it appears the tune um, and by the end of it I had I had Melanie on it um, I had uh, Sarah Barnes who's done lots of session vocals for me Sharon Felberg has done loads of session vocals for me over the years Jackie Hamilton who did that album when I was 
um, uh, just coming back into producing, and and endless other people who are all named on on the YouTube um, video of it. It was, and everybody was so supportive, and it then went on to become this kind of iconic thing that helped shelter to help promote the daft thing I was doing all year because I was doing something every day. It wasn't just I was doing something mad. I wasn't climbing Everest or, or climbing Kilimanjaro. It was all done and dusted in a week. They were able to use it for the social media, not every day, but they were constantly dipping in and out. They ended up getting press and stuff in the back of it. So the song and the the thing became part of this all-consuming thing for a year. I mean, on Christmas Eve, uh, we had our Rice Krispies race between me and a friend of mine. Uh, he's he's eating Rice Krispies on his uh, computer at his house, and I'm eating Rice Krispies at mine. And we're trying to start eating Rice Krispies in the morning, having breakfast, and it, and it starts to be a hailstorm. Imagine trying to eat Rice Krispies in a hailstorm. And a hail? On camera, because you're trying to record it to prove it. Christmas Day, my whole family came out and had... Uh, breakfast with me on my do- the day of my daughter's wedding uh, my daughter and the bridesmaids came out and uh, it was just a wow. kind of mega year and the song just underpinned the whole thing and it's it's, yeah. it's it's the most complicated most emotional recording I've ever done um, and mm-hmm. b- because of the sheer effort and, and because so many people wanted to do it they wanted to support what I was doing uh, and it's because it's a worthwhile cause because you know <laughs> never more than over the past three months has our home appeared so important so if you haven't got a home yeah, that's very true if you haven't got a home imagine what lockdown would be like and, and yeah, I've always yeah. been a home buddy I've always been enjoying being at home it's never been a problem for me being at home and it was one of the reasons why I wanted to support Shelter. I thought, if I'm going to do this um, daft exploit for Shell for a charity, I, th- I think having a home is for a full year the first thing. Everything else after that is there are many other things that are important, but you need to have somewhere to be. And for the past three months, mm-hmm. you've really need somewhere to be. Yeah, that's that's I that I never even thought about all that. You know, definitely. There must have been some times doing that, but surely you've went, fuck this. Anyway, a year every day, you know, there's got to have been lows there that you've had to pull yourself yeah. through to, to, to get it done. April was actually about the worst, and you'd think, why was April? It would have been warmer in the morning. Uh, it was, do you know what? Because by April, I was thoroughly racked off with it by January, February. But I actually didn't, I didn't mind the days when the weather was bad. <laughs> Seeing the days when the weather was bad, because I was live streaming it. This is live streaming in 2013, 2014, by the way, when live streaming was a hard gig. Not now, you're just your phone. Yeah, yeah. It was involved all sorts of technology and wires and all the rest of it. And a day when the weather was bad, I'd get loads of donations. Because there's a guy huddled, eating his breakfast. You better give some money today, you know. But when it's like about eight degrees, a bit windy, a bit damp, like it's been for the last 17 days everybody's forgotten about you and and you think it's still another <laughs> 7 weeks till the end of May I just want to eat my breakfast inside <laughs> <laughs> but what an achievement the point of it was it wasn't about me eating it in my garden because hey you're lucky to have a garden it was about me enduring something every day because that's what yeah. it's like if you 
if you have any challenge in your life, any chronic challenge, be it homelessness, pain, many other chronic problem, it's sometimes it's not the, the individual minutes that the problem, it's just the relentlessness of it that's the problem. It's that it's today, it was yesterday, and it's tomorrow, and it's the next day as well. And I think mm-hmm. some people maybe misinterpreted what I, I wasn't trying to pretend to be homeless. Quite the opposite. I knew I wasn't homeless because I had a jacket on and I'd gone outside with my breakfast. It was nothing like being homeless. It was definitely not like what... Obviously it wasn't. It was the relentlessness mm-hmm. of it. Um, Did you raise quite a bit? What was the kind of just figure? Just grand. Which is not quite That's great, isn't it? Tom, you know, but it's... Uh, <laughs> if it, I was saying that with Cap- Captain the old no, shit <laughs> if I'd been 99 I might have got 33 million or 39 million but uh, no oh, but it, it was it was a, it was it was it was good uh, but the, the song was, was pretty special because it, it felt again that was again not quite at the end of my producing time um but it was just, it was so many people who'd gone back many years. I mean, Tom Yuri was was on, on the track. Uh, Tom, which I did uh, many things over the years with, in, including when I, I did a, a, a track for the the record that came out for After Dumblain. Um I didn't even know that, Andy. Tom's song, uh, a version of Knocking on Heaven's Door, which actually didn't end up going on the single, but two other things we did went on the B-side, so um, so I did get my number one, but I, I don't really count that one, um, because I don't mm. think that's... <laughs> well, it's not, it's not the, the way I would have I would want it, so it's it doesn't count. And Mary Keane was on, on the record as well, on, on the... the, the uh, the breakfast, the shelter tune. It's what's difficult to believe is how many vocalists are on it because I, I think I managed to make it sound like a lot of people, but it doesn't sound chaotic. That was a, that was a mm-hmm. challenge. Oh, the years of experience. Well, well, we'll play them at the two. And what I was thinking as well, I should stick in the middle section when you're playing your ravey stuff. We've got to play your head case track that you never even yeah, mentioned I, I, in the full I, thing. What are you waiting for? <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I was, I was getting like, there's a lot of dats here, and there's endless things I could have pulled out, and if if we, this was maybe a twenty part series, we could have maybe covered mm-hmm. it all in, in, in areas. I've actually missed out whole swathes of, of areas of things that I've done, um, but yeah, that that was that was quite a, that was a cool cool tune. Yeah, we'll stick that in the middle with the with your two selections for the middle, will we? I was gonna I was gonna suggest that one, but I decided against it. No, it's in there now. But listen, Andy, it's it's been it's been brilliant. Also, just as mates sitting down and talking to you about your journey. You know, I'm so glad we've done it. You've been a massive inspiration to me and you know, part of the reason why I'm sitting here talking to you today. And I can't thank you enough for all of that and for taking the time and talking about your journey on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pure laugh and thank you for always making any time we're together actually, not just in the studio funnier than it should be (laughs) (laughs) is it my lump (laughs) brilliant well I think we'll sign off on that thanks again Andy Haldane 
producer extraordinaire. Cheers. See you later.
Tell your friends about it and spread the word. It's something I'm really passionate about and what I continue doing. <laughs> 